Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment while dealing with a very chaotic week for both of them. I'm one of your co-hosts, Eitan, and I'm joined by Carl. Hey, Carl, welcome to the Chaos Week episode. Yeah, hello. (laughs) As you might see, we have deviated from our normal hour, 20 hour minute, hour, (laughs) 30 minutes schedule to deliver however long this ends up being, but it's going to be less than half an hour because both of us are at wit's end with multiple things. I myself just got back from San Francisco this weekend where I found an apartment. So that's been exciting. Alex and I were there uh, shopping all weekend and we found something. And I got a very special visit from none other than Eitan Rivera shot. <laughs> yeah, a visit. I also in San Francisco, I'm still here both for work and also trying to move all of our stuff that was here since last year. And it was great to catch up. It's the second time we've seen in person in a year. First one, a part of your wedding, which feels like we 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 were able to talk more this weekend than we did at your wedding for like four days. Yeah, we <laughs> sadly, we were able to catch up much more this weekend. And we weren't able to record anything very special because it was very tight. And it was more about let's yeah. have a drink and talk rather than, you know, do a special live yes. episode. One of these days, but I think this podcast is just doomed to be a, a Zoom record podcast unless one of <laughs> us moves to where the other is anytime soon. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it was such a chaotic week. It's been such a chaotic week that for a second we were like, should we skip it? And we were like, you know, we'll find 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Let's talk about these things. Because we, I think like the stuff that we're talking about today, I mean, not spoilers, we're talking about Scarlett Johansson quickly and then some theme parks. It's been things that we haven't talked about him at all so i'm just curious to talk to get your thoughts podcast or not yeah absolutely and in addition to that i think everyone is sighing in relief that the theme park episode is 20 minutes just that's the only thing i ever get feedback <laughs> on is guys you don't have to do theme parks you don't have to <laughs> talk about yes, the economics of this and honestly that's the only thing we really want to be talking about is theme parks so yeah Sorry, guys. I feel like that's kind of where our actual very specific niche is. There's a ton of podcasts about theme parks, but there aren't really that many about like the intricacies of business operations and economics of theme parks. Correct. And transportation. But yeah, yeah. all together. Exactly. We are uh, stuck in development in uh, theme parks, whereas very few <laughs> exactly. people are. Yeah. But let's start, let's start quickly with ScarJo. There were some developments this week. Yes, so the ScarJo case is continuing. First of all, Elizabeth Olsen came out in support of Scarlett Johansson. Elizabeth Olsen, a Marvel actress, star of WandaVision, and C-list star of many a Marvel movie, even though she's (laughs) one of the more interesting performers and actresses in the films. But she came out in support of it, and overall... Uh, a news item came out this week that Scarlett Johansson was, well, Disney tried to go into private, I'm not sure if it was mm-hmm. forced private or just private arbitration with the Black Widow lawsuit. And her lawyers and talent team said no and that they wanted, wanted to do this in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently she had a clause in the contract that any yeah lawsuit had to be in arbitration and they were like, Disney's trying to say that they are. But I feel like the 
that's interesting as a whole because we know that this is this is a way that Scarlett and her team have to apply pressure to Disney, mm -hmm. which we talk about Apple and Epic. Disney doesn't want to do this publicly, so this is just pressure. But it was interesting because they released more numbers of uh, the, both domestic, both uh, box office and Premiere Plus. It's apparently box office around four hundred million, a little bit more, mm -hmm. and Premiere Plus, Premiere Access. I said it wrong every time. It's around 120. And they were saying that already with those numbers, it's a higher grossing film than like Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I think the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. And that's even without considering, again, that uh, Premier Access, it's not apples to apples to box office. Um, they again have this cryptic line about that they made it up to her somehow when they moved to Premier Access, but with no no real detail around if they changed the contract before going to Premier Access, if she said yes, like, who knows what. But if they did, that feels like a very easy way to say, like, why are you complaining? We agreed on this. Yeah. And the fact that they're not doing it just makes me feel like it was also not a... Like, not a very... I don't know what the word is, but like it didn't actually bring resolution to anything. It was just like, yeah, we'll maybe do something. The one thing Disney's trying to hide behind here is that the contract for ScarJo said that the film would be on no less than 1,500 screens. And Disney says, well, it was on 9,000 screens, which I looked it up. That doesn't mean that they're counting screens at homes because that would be real shady. Oh, of course. That would be awesome. Le legitimately. 30,000 million. <laughs> 30 million. Sorry. Legitimately, it is 9,000 theater screens across the I saw 9,000 across the US the number says more like four something thousand so I'm imagining 9,000 might be global but regardless they satisfied the 1500 screen requirement for ScarJo but it doesn't matter if it's playing on 9,000 screens if two people are in the theater for every screen like that's her point here yeah, but and, and that's also one of our sides of the, the interesting side of these things, of how these things are just going to evolve and there's going to be a new metric, is that that just shows how ridiculous that clause is of 1,500 yeah. screens. Because that's not really what matters. What she wanted was that this was the only distribution. It didn't matter how many screens. So I think what we're going to start seeing again is just more specific language that reflects the types of distribution without leaving things in the gray area. And yeah, just to your point on TV screens, I mean, 120 million at 30 a pop is 40, sorry, 4 million homes. Mm -hmm. So they were in 4 million and 9,000 screens, I guess, at least. No. Pretty good numbers. Good for them. I, I think the only real thing I can draw a conclusion from about any of this is that by Scarlett not wanting to do this in private, it means that it is more of a personal vendetta on somebody's part than it is about money. It sure feels that way. Because she would be able to get what money she wants in some sort of private arbitration. I agree, and it makes it, makes it feel weird, because if you're her, if it's a personal vendetta, it's against a person, not against the company. And then to the point of, CIA, is it a CAA thing? But if it's a CAA thing, why would she say yes? Yeah. And risk her name. I I think she's gonna be fine. She handled the Ghost of the Shell PR backlash pretty well. I I, I don't think Scarlett Johansson's going anywhere. <laughs> no, and we we <laughs> talked. They she's already doing a new movie with Disney. Well, with Searchlight, but 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't know. And if she gets canceled, Woody Allen needs a starlet, and she's worked with him before. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's. I mean, from a podcast and content perspective, I'm very happy she's doing this. This is gonna hopefully give us more information about where things are going, which interesting in this age of everyone hides everything and we don't know anything about any movie we just know that every movie is the best ever in netflix right yeah and i mean the discovery process will be very similar to the sony hacks in that in the apple Mm -hmm. the epic discovery process where all this dirty laundry gets aired in public and it'll be Mm -hmm. very fun to watch yeah the the last thing on them was i was I'm in this hotel and I turned on the TV and I enjoy having linear TV all of, you know, from time to time and just changing channels and see what I found. And I ran into The Island. Did you ever watch The Island? Is that Scar- Is that the Michael Bay movie or the Danny The Beach is the Danny Boyle movie. The Island is the Michael Bay movie with Ewan McGregor and clones. Exactly. Yeah. Ewan McGregor Sean Bean. I have not seen it. Clones. I would like to see it. Well, you should watch it because I had such a déjà vu of like I saw The Island. And then it said Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson. I was like, oh, what is this? And then I started watching. I was like, this sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. And then I was like, oh, I watched this movie, this movie many times. Like, I like this movie. And I'm like, why did I like... Like, how does that look in 2005 when it came out? Did I rent it many times? Like, what does it mean I watched it many times? Was it on TNT? And, like, mm-hmm. I, it's just crazy that you see a movie and it's like, yeah, the, the way we interact with these things is very different than how we did before. And... Yeah, I don't know. You have but, yeah. more of an option to choose now than you did then. Like I, a film from I think two thousand four, similar time frame that I watched like a dozen times was the day after tomorrow because I got the DVD from the library and just watched it mm. a bunch. So, same time period at the, that point, it's whatever you can get on DVD from Blockbuster or rental or the library, and or whatever's on TV every day for some reason. Yeah. This is a True. wild yeah, poster. She's got the most, like, the tightest leather jacket I've ever seen on someone. Yeah, sounds like Michael Bay. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> so let's transition from Disney trying to screw people out of money to Disney trying to screw <laughs> people out of money. <laughs> sure, fine. Oh my God, such an anti Disney episode, Carl. So, a theme park. So, I think where Carl and I, when you and I talk about theme parks, we talk about how we love the logistical puzzle mm-hmm. and operational way it is. And a big part of that on Disney parks in the US is the FastPass. Is the system that Disney introduced, I think, like three decades ago. It, of course, wasn't there when they started, which was basically a system where there is a queue. And you were able to go get these fast passes to jump most of the queue at certain times of the day. And then there was a limited amount per hour and the very popular ride, the fast passes ran out. And basically what it boiled down to was, which is a very interesting kind of, from again, from our mm-hmm. perspective, operational equation and decision, which is people are willing to wait longer lines on average if they have very short lines for a couple of things. I don't know if in the, in, the, in the formula the average stays the same or how it looks, but it's like they have this way of saying, like, oh, Carl really likes Indiana Jones and Splash Mountain, 
and they're willing to spend an hour everywhere else instead of 30 minutes just by skipping the line for those two. And for people like Carl and I that are incredible geeks and love these things, it was a system that could be not abused because you couldn't abuse mm -hmm. it, but like you were able to puzzle it together. You were able to say, oh, if you go first to this one and then do it to this one and then for this one there's going to be a pause so you can take lunch. It made it very enjoyable, right? There was a bizarre rhythm to all of it, especially in Orlando, where in Orlando mm -hmm. you could book your fast passes every day, depending on what park you were going to be in, 60 days in advance. Well, which is also the second iteration once we move into digital. Correct. But, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I'm going to jump in the gun here. But, well, okay, I'm jumping the gun, but I never experienced paper and fast passes. I never, I had never been in a Disney never? park before that. Okay, so then let me preface just the story. The way that the system worked was that each attraction had next to it these machines mm -hmm. that you had to go put in the ticket and it gave you back a time. And the way it worked, and this was still, this was still available in Disneyland until it closed uh, last year because of COVID, is that as a family, imagine, someone ended up running places. You know, they were in one side of the park and they were like, oh, we need to get a fast pass to this ride so that we can go in a couple of hours. And somebody had to run all the way across the park with all of the tickets, get the fast passes, and then run back. And then everyone had like 20 tickets and it was like, it was like a thing. It was part of the experience and the operation. And it was also kind of... Uh, when, when Disney realized this and they were like, okay, how do we bring it to the next stage? They came up with two different things. One is... In Orlando, what you're going to explain in a second. Mm -hmm. And then in Disneyland, they made it available on the app if you paid extra for it. You were able to basically, instead of having to run and see it and even get to the attraction before knowing at what time they were available or if they were sold out, you could pay extra and you could select them directly from your phone. This is, of course, two things. One is a way to do to upsell and get more money. But it was also a way to kind of help with operations. They had suddenly the ability to see, you know, if a line was very long, they could say there are less. If a line was very short, they could say there are more. Like, they, they suddenly were able to play around with this in a way that when everything was in a paper ticket, mm. they couldn't. And you should explain the Orlando one because Orlando is kind of a very interesting world. I, I do want to explain the Orlando one, but I want to stay on this for a second, which is... There's a value to this beyond just people get people are happy that they get to skip a line. Like there's a cognitive psychological boost there, but there's also a data boost because Disney's able to assess overall how popular a ride is, when the ride is most popular. Um, they they for years there's a term called people eaters which are mm -hmm. rides that have a high throughput per hour. So something like Rise of the Resistance, which is a new ride in Disneyland and Disney World, it's a very kind of bespoke ride experience where it's pretty high throughput, but it has a lot of operational challenges and has the chance to break down. It's And it's not a very continuous ride. Something like the Haunted Mansion, the Doom Buggies, which are the ride vehicles, move continuously unless something happens where like somebody falls out or something so those vehicles are constantly in motion they're constantly sucking up a lot of people things yeah, like pirates of the caribbean yeah, pirates of the caribbean has huge boats 
uh, Mickey's Philharmagic is a 3D show that takes 20 minutes and seats like a thousand people. So there are, and you see that with just stage shows and whatnot too. There's like a, there's an Aladdin stage show and a Frozen stage show. And these things suck up all the people out of the park. So they take a thousand people out of commission, out of lines, out of rides for X amount of time. Same with restaurants. So there's this constant balancing act of how do we push different people to different places so that we're min-maxing everyone across every attraction at once. And what the FastPass data allows you to do is actually collect that data and understand how they need to be scheduling things throughout the day, what they need to be playing Mm -hmm. against. If there's a stage show next to one of the most popular attractions, somebody might opt to go to the stage show while they wait. So it, it's a, a fun game, and or in Orlando, uh, about a decade ago, they rolled out a digital version of this, where it was through a website first, then it became through an app, uh, and it was tied to a a technology they called Magic Bands. I think they spent nine billion dollars developing this what? infrastructure. Yeah, oh my God. nine billion over like twenty. It's pretty years. cool. It was one of those projects that got capitalized a bunch. But, yeah, yeah, they spent all this money developing it over a period before, you know, smartphones were invented. That's the that's right. the downfall of Magic Bands. But what Magic Bands were, it was a RFID bracelet uh, made of silicon that you wear, and it has your payment information in there. It stores all your fast, fast passes. It's essentially a way of interacting digitally with the parks with a physical mm-hmm. object rather than a phone. Yeah, it opens your room. If you pay with it, the stores know how to, where to send your merch so you don't have to carry it. It gets you to like parking lots. Like, yeah, you can do everything with it. Which, to your point, right now with smartphones, it loses a little bit yeah. of its value. But back in the day, it's still, it's still kind of a great experience if you have it. Yeah, and it enabled them to build a digital infrastructure beyond what they had with the paper tickets, which they had in both, well, in all the parks. Mm-hmm. So with that, uh, and then on top of it, it has RFID in it, so there were location trackers throughout the park as well. So they could actually get movement data on people beyond just whenever they returned a fast pass to a paper kiosk. And and with that allows a a more granular level, granular level of detail. They allowed you to start booking things 60 days in advance and putting on your magic band. Eventually this is mostly done through a phone app. The magic band programs mostly deprecated. Uh, as we're going to talk about in just overall changes to Walt Disney World in a little bit. But with that, you just have this higher resolution of data and a higher touch point level of data and a customizability of your day that didn't involve you running in the hot Florida sun across a park to get a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing about this version of Orlando, but also just in contrast with everything, is that each park suddenly had a different system. Disneyland had the free ticket system or the upsell available through the app, which was called uh, Magic Magic Pass, I think. How is it called? Why am I blanking on how it was called? Is it Magic Pass or Fast Pass Plus? Fast Pass Plus is Disneyland, right? It's in Orlando. Yeah. It's in Disney World. Yeah. And then, anyway, it has a different name. And in now also in Europe, in Paris and in Hong Kong and in Shanghai, there are different versions of these things. So, the Orlando one is the, the app that it's free, but there are no paper tickets, and only you can only choose three. Mm-hmm. And then if you use all of them, you can get another one. I feel like from one side it feels very 
different, right? And you're like, well, why isn't it standardized? And at, at face value, you can say, well, the Disney World experience of the multi-day passes, mm -hmm. the staying in on-site, all of the services that they have is more conducive for this kind of like multi-day, you know, experiences outside the park type of thing where Disneyland is like, no, a ton of people from, it's mostly locals, they're going to decide to come a couple of days in advance, like this 60-day out doesn't make sense. Not even that, right? But suddenly, to your point of the, there is this thing of the rush, this also kind of allows... Disney to like it kind of segments the market mm -hmm. to say if you're a Disney fan a Disney stand that goes a hundred times a day you know how to go through the through everything to have a good day if you're somebody that comes in with a family and it's like you know you're gonna you're not gonna pay that much attention but it doesn't matter to you right because it's such a special trip and it, it is kind of a lever that they can suddenly pull to to make the people that are willing to spend the time kind of give them a benefit. It sounds like it's been a, it's been a while coming that there was supposed to be some consolidation because I think we've talked about once in business school that the fact that they had different ones in each country mm -hmm. one is okay it makes sense because it's different but it, it also kind of it's they have A/B testing yeah. they have five different fast pass systems running mm -hmm. in Shanghai they, it's not free you have to pay per attraction. And in Paris, you have to pay for a group of attractions or the other way or whatever. And then suddenly you have these five different places where they have the data and they can see how people are using it. Disney World in Orlando is the only place where it was purely free. But even then, it was added. There were elements of it and there were perks of it that were added as a benefit for staying on property. Mm -hmm. So it was another right. way of, of pushing people to stay on property, which beyond being logistically easier, also just... Like, now you have a, a benefit of, oh, I can book my restaurant and my ride reservations 60 days in advance. And then you have the magic yeah. for free and blah, blah, blah. But all that said, that's going away. <laughs> After that context. <laughs> it's being standardized into one platform. It's called Disney Genie Plus. Well, there's Disney Genie, there's Disney Genie Plus, and then there's Lightning Lanes, which are an element of Disney Genie Plus and... And just something you can do in the app. Yes, that's true. So, Genie was actually... Let's uh, bring it back because, yeah, it's confusing even to us. The Genie system was actually first announced in D23, the year that I was there. Mm -hmm. And basically, the way they announced it is like, you know, going to a park, now it's a logistical challenge or nightmare, depending on who you are. And Genie was... It's this idea of it's your personal assistant that is going to help you plan things. It's going to have recommended itineraries. Once you arrive at the park, it's going to know the lanes in each in each ride, how, how long they are right now. And it's going to recommend, oh, go to this one and then go to this one because this one is expected to go down. Who's to know if people are going to be open to trusting it? But it can help you with the reservation. So if you have a fast pass, it can tell you, hey, there is a reservation exactly after at this restaurant to kind of make that a little bit more easy on one side. But to your point push people toward places that they want to push you. So they announced this Genie Plus service is free. Announced. On top of that, they say, okay, you're going to be able to pay for Genie Plus, which is very similar to this paid version of FastPass in Disneyland, which just means with Genie Plus, it's going to be $15 in Disney World, $20 at Disneyland. You're going to be able to select quote-unquote fast passes, which are now called lightning lanes, that you're going to be able to skip the line through the lightning lane, 
uh, all through the phone. So technically, that's basically the same of what was available in Disneyland. But then, and this is kind of the new thing that they're taking from Shanghai Disneyland, is they're saying there are some rides, the most booked rides, Radiator Spring, the Cars Ride, you know, Seven Mind Drive Train in Orlando, things like that, that they're not going to be available mm -hmm. in Genie Plus. You have to pay individually for them. And the first reaction that I had to that, it brings me back to like OG Disneyland and the A, B, C, D, E ticket rights. Yeah. They are, they are coming out with this like tier level of rights that they're able to even monetize individually, even after you're inside of the park. TLDR on this, you used to get a book with tickets that had yeah. different levels. So a big ride like Space Mountain would be an e-ticket, which is a phrase that still survives to this day mm -hmm. as like, this is something that is a big, cool, expensive ride that you're willing to sacrifice your two e-tickets of the day, one of them on. That's mm -hmm. where this is. There were various yeah. free attractions, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, it, it does harken back to that. Overall, I think I want to step back beyond the paying for rides, paying for everything thing, because that seems inevitable. Mm -hmm. It's something Universal has like yeah. been tweeting about, how, like tweeting, making fun of Disney for this, but Universal has been doing it for years. It's always been paid. Yeah. yeah, they don't have anything free. Yeah, at Universal, you can pay like 80 to $200 a day just to skip lines, which kind of cool yeah. way to do it, but Disney's would be far worse and far more in demand. Anyway, with that... That doesn't surprise me. What I think is really the most interesting thing here is the Disney Genie element of we're going to help you plan your day. We're going to push you towards certain reservations. We're going to push you towards certain lines. We're going to learn your taste. Because as much as that sounds like a, I think it's just fast pass 2.0 and it's a psychological benefit to the, the customer who no longer has to be a crazy person like us who studies these mm -hmm. things, learns about it, but instead can have a, in theory, a, pretty nice day at Disney World or Disneyland that's planned for them where in actuality they're they might get like one or two rides that they didn't think they were going to get but what it is is Disney just trying to load balance throughout the entire day yeah you think I don't think they'll book fast passes for you automatically right they won't they won't push you to that level okay no. yeah, that makes sense. I mean they're not going to do anything that requires payment but I, I can imagine them like rewarding you with a fast pass to Haunted Mansion or something if you like Haunted Mansion and traffic's already low there and they're trying to push people to it. Like... Yeah, they get be, to do that now. That'd be the smart thing, way to do it. But overall, yeah, it, this just ties into the conversation about annual passes we talked about where it's just frustrating that it's becoming more convoluted that a layperson, even though they have an app that will book it for them, I think overall won't get the ease of an experience that they might have had 15 years ago at one of these parks. Right. Yeah, yeah. For me, there were two also two things that came up. Was one was the before talking about the paid part. Fast passes were getting it was getting to a level that that segmentation of people that were no knew how to manage the system versus the ones that weren't were making the standby lines very long. Like you know the Avatar ride and Ride It to Springs. These rides have like three hour lines each time. Indiana Jones like an hour and a half, two hours, no matter what. And there is an expectation that in these previous systems, they had kind of this limited amount per hour, and they just let the system mm -hmm. run. And there were some rumors online that with these, they're going to be a little bit more manual with it. Yeah. That if the line is getting too long, they're going to limit the amount of fast passes so that the line goes faster. Mm -hmm. 
and and trying to to play a little bit more with that to keep you know what's the utility is not the utilitarian point of view of uh maximizing the total amount of like happiness but making sure that the average happiness is the highest yeah. i guess and well that i guess is the same no it's still utilitarian yeah yeah that's still utilitarian but there is another way like minimizing maximizing the minimum i don't know but so that's one which is interesting the second one is the paid stuff which it is i mean you and i from a business perspective disney parks are one of those things that are like is not a commodity and there is incredible demand for short supply yeah. Even though it's open 365 days a year when there is no pandemic for like 50 years running. And one of the levers that you have is price. Yeah. And see, it has the elasticity and you realize like it's still getting full. It, it's what? It's double the price than 10 years ago maybe. And it's still getting full. And this is a very natural way to to change, to, to manage that. And then the other one that I just want to point out that you said everything right is like the data. Mm-hmm. Like this allows them to get that to even a different level. Like connect everything you're doing. Allow them to know where you are, what you're testing, what you're doing. Drive even more people to the app. Put more abilities, put more, sorry, uh, capabilities and features there so that everything goes to the app. They had this other app that was my Disney experience that had like games. They're going to put it all in the same one. And by making Genie the regular one free, you also are going to get the benefit of the people are just, just going to use that, that probably yeah. weren't using anything. I think I have one final thought on this, which is that overall, I think the most interesting thing here beyond everything else that I've found interesting already is <laughs> that this kind of devalues the Walt Disney World experience now. Because... This is part of a suite of changes where I already talked about how like the FastPass system was kind of the best slash just most user-friendly and friendly and free in Disney World and was very mm-hmm. data-driven and very technology-enabled. But overall, this is the last of a suite of changes that have been made to the Walt Disney World Resort. First of all... Uh, if you stayed on site, you used to get complimentary magic bands, so that's no longer the case. Again, it's kind of a moot point because it moves; everything's moved over to phones, but there was a nice benefit to being able to just pay for and scan everything with a wrist instead of a phone. Transport from the Orlando airport used to be free for customers. It's no longer free. It's ending on January 1st. Mm-hmm. You no longer get early booking of fast passes. You used to be able to get early and late admission into the Orlando parks, especially some of them, like you could stay in Magic Kingdom till one in the morning after the park closed at 10. It's pretty great. Yeah. That has now shifted to early theme park entry. So you might be able to get in at seven o'clock, but that's a long grueling day that way. Mm-hmm. And the Disney dining plan is currently unavailable, which was a thing that I never made use of, probably never would, but it was a way of families being able to like yeah, kind of make their experience cheaper. But overall, everything's becoming very a la carte at Disney World. And again, they're trying to, I think, to your point, try to segment things and make more of a pricing moat around this place that they didn't used to have. Mm-hmm. It's going to look more like Las Vegas. Well, actually, like, yeah. like it's, it's The show, the restaurant, yeah. the thing, the bar. And it's all paid out of your the pocket and really. not inclusive, but that's the way they're going. I think if we talk any more about theme parks, people are going to... 
I was going to say, we should have done go. an hour and a half on this because I think we both have an hour and a half of thoughts on this. So we do as a deal, the second that news, more news comes out of this, let's do another 20 to 30 minutes on it. Deal? Okay. I like Sorry, this is the, the operational side of it. No, the operational side of it is fascinating. There aren't that many things in the world that have to deal with this type of thing. No, not at all. Like I think of like airports, maybe, yeah. but not even. And that's such a static thing. And yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. Let's just talk about it next time. I have a quick AUA for you. I have a very quick AUA for you too. I was gonna say we shouldn't do them, but I have one. Go ahead. Perfect. Uh, Spider-Man trailer. Okay. I think it looks goofy, which is good. Like it's the same stupid sequel plot that like Cinderella three and Shrek four do, which is person wishes that their life wasn't the magical fairy tale life that was established in the first movie. That feels so goofy. I agree. That's a nice way to describe it. <laughs> They've been talking about the multiverse for so long with WandaVision and Loki mm-hmm. that you thought it was going to be like this crazy thing that happened that Doctor Strange is trying to prevent. And according to the trailer, it's just because Peter Parker is asking him for help yeah. to make people forget that he's Spider-Man, which is like... Who knows also if this is trailer changing, right? right? I'm happy that it's small, but at the same time, I wish that it was just... There's flashes in the trailer where he's just Peter Parker being Spider-Man in New York, and it seems like we're not going to get much of that at all again. But say exactly. Yeah. My other point was it was funny to see the Sony CEO talk about how their films are going to be exclusive theatrical releases. He's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you don't have a streaming service. It's like Apple and privacy. Very Try true. Try to credit all the way. We need to come up with a name for that. Like, I know. When you have a strategy deficit, so you try and create an entire branding strategy around being contrarian to the way the market's shifting. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's that's we'll spend an entire episode trying to name that. Yes. Look for that in your inboxes. Okay. My AUA is Yes. I was kind of I mean, I'm tired. This has been a long week. But I was looking forward all week to recording this episode specifically. Do mm-hmm. you know why? Is this 52? It's Is 52. this a one year? It's a oh, one yay! year. Congratulations. I didn't realize. That's very exciting. Congratulations to you. Yeah, we did it, man. It's been a good year. When we went, when we went in, we were like, let's just have fun and it's going to be fun and let's commit. What did we say at the beginning? Like, let's do five, at least five, because uh-huh. we need to get into the things, few things. And then I feel like we, we haven't even asked about stopping like it's never been like eh. yeah. we've had a little bit of conversation about how do we grow it or take it to the next level but it's never been I, I don't know the world is not burdened because I have so much fun but oh man congrats yeah congrats that's very exciting I need to send you a gift so we're one year anniversary I need to send you a gift too it's also your birthday coming up so double gifts right on <laughs> exactly. it helps that I can send you things now that you have an address whereas I couldn't send you anything before pretty nice oh and you're gonna have a new address to send me tonight, hopefully. Yeah, tomorrow. hopefully we will see if we sign it. Fingers crossed. That's exciting. We'll put. I'll put both of both of them on the episode description. <laughs> but hey, here's to a year, and we're gonna take it to the next level over the next twelve months. I'm excited. Yeah, here's to the next twelve months. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. We didn't wanna leave the week empty, so hope you enjoy that very nerdy episode for our one year anniversary. Very on brand that we talked about fast passes for twenty five minutes. All right, love you, man, and love all of you who are listening. Thank you. Oh, 
Bye, everyone.